This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 162 of the Healthy Critters Radio on Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we share tips on helping horses with anhydrosis. Critter of the show is the Dark Brahma. In Critter Nutrition, we take a behind-the-scenes look at how Biostar products are created. And in Coffee Clutch, we match famous riders with dog breeds. Join us. Tigger. And I'm Patty. And I'm Coach Jen. Welcome back to Healthy Critters Radio, where we stop by twice a month and geek out on all things healthy and critter in the broadest sense of the word. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and for newbies, we're all the time getting newbies on these podcasts. Uh, I would like to further introduce Tigger. Tigger is the mad genius behind Biostar US, so she's uber smart. She represents the gray batter in this t- little trio. <laughs> and Patty Perucci, she's a Grand Prix dressage rider and trainer. So she represents the talent in this group. And I'm Coach Jen, the producer here at Horse Radio Network. And I represent button pushing in this here. I, I was saying the sanity. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am also known as the, uh, the guest wrangler. And wrangler. I need to add to that host wrangler because I keep you guys in line. Yes, you do. Yes, you sure. do. Now keep you guys sure. in line because you are the ringmaster of this circus. <laughs> yeah, this here and it's a three ring circus. Let me tell you, it is <laughs> <laughs> indeed. And uh, at the beginning of the show, we always have uh, just kind of an off the cuff little chit chat about some random topic. And every once in a while, Tigger and Patty just look at each other with blank stares. I mean, these two people know each other really well. Before I turn the recorder on, I can't get them to stop talking. <laughs> it's like, we know we really need to get the show started here, ladies. Just stop. And they look at each other and go, oh, uh, what are we going to talk about? So when they do that, so I step in. Yes, I do. And today's conversation is going to be about alternative therapies. Hmm. Specifically, oh boy. alternative therapies oh. that you have used and how you feel about the trend or I'm going to say it's a trend. People using these alternative therapies, but performing these therapies themselves versus hiring a professional to do it and your feelings might be different for different ones so patty we're gonna have you go first um what ones do you use and how do you feel about all that well um one of the when when you when we were thinking of this one of the first things that we use and i started using when i moved back uh when i moved to texas uh, back in 2013 is uh, magna wave um and it's a big popular and I don't, I, I don't know if you would, I guess, consider an alternative therapy, but it's, you know, it's basically a machine that is, uh, it, it's a PEMF, um, a pulse electronic something M, 
something else, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was um, originally designed by NASA um, for the astronauts when they were coming back into um, the atmosphere. It's a, it's a long kind of cool thing. But anyway, I got very much into it because I would see a bunch of really pretty cool results with it. And we ended up purchasing one. So, um, but with this particular machine, when you get it through MagnaWave, because there's different types of PEMFs, I think, um, they have a certification thing that you can do. So we did that. And also one of my very good friends and clients um, is certified in it and actually is a practitioner. So she helps us with certain modalities and how to use it. But we use it um, preventively. And then um, actually you can use it on people and whatever. But um, when I broke my foot, um, I used it and found it to be really great for, you know, increasing circulation and whatever, but we use it just to increase circulation to help, you know, if there's knots or if a horse, you know, has a little, you know, has a bump or a swollen ankle or whatever, it's, it's really great in um, like helping reduce swelling and stuff like that. So that would probably be my favorite. All righty. How about you, Pat Tigger? You have any thoughts? Well, I tend to go with, um, professionals that are trained in acupuncture, body work. Um, I, I think a lot of, a, a lot of riders can learn, you know, the basic use of a laser, but boy, when it comes to acupuncture and, you know, real mm. deep muscle work, I, I want somebody who knows what they're doing. I want a real practitioner. Mm-hmm. Have yeah, you, I have, agree. Have you ever used PEMF? I have not. I certainly have customers that have. Very popular. You see it a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's very popular. It's kind of taken over from the magnetic field blankets, mm-hmm. which were very popular. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, increasing circulation. I, I had a blanket for years, loved it. Um, laser. I mean, I, I think integrated medicine and therapy is really important as part of the whole big picture. It takes... A village. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it yeah. does. Now, Tigger, how, what is your experience when it comes to the professionals that provide these services? Do you see a lot of veterinarians that also do these treatments, or do you see sort of a divide between practitioners who offer these services versus a, a traditional DMV or DVM? Um. I, there, there is a group of vets who are trained in acupuncture and chiropractics. Mm-hmm. It's not all vets, not mm-hmm. all equine vets. There certainly is a subset. I don't mean that as below, but it's mm-hmm. a smaller group. Well, it's an additional bit of schooling you have to do because it's not included yes. in a traditional veterinary degree. Yes. Yeah, correct. And you know where, where you live is where one of the best training schools is which is the chi institute i got to go over there and hang out during some of the classes one time because a friend of ours teaches there and it's just fascinating stuff so we here in ocala we're kind of lucky we have a pretty high percentage of veterinarians who have also taken the courses over there Mm -hmm. so even if they're not all if they're not offering those services they have a very good understanding of them and when it's appropriate to use them so we're really lucky here in ocala in that respect patty how about Mm -hmm. you what's been your what's your experience been like um i i would i would totally agree with tigger on that um like on any other type of things like acupuncture stuff like that or even massage 
I mean, I, what, anything that I do outside of MagnaWave stuff is stuff that I, um, you know, my vet <clears throat> has been my long-term vet. Um, it's a good friend of Tigger than mine. Um, I always recommend, I always go by his recommendations and he generally recommends like vets. So we have an acupuncturist that's a vet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I always go that route. The other thing too, that I do, um, mainly more when I'm in Florida is chiropractic. And that would be the only person that I think we use that isn't, um, uh, he's not a vet. Um, and it's some, someone else that, you know, my, my vet recommends. So mm-hmm. I generally kind of do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say going back to the MagnaWave, it, it's interesting and Tigger, I don't know, you know, how much you know about this or, you know, cause it sounds like people that you deal with, that you work with, work with the, the MagnaWave, but there's really, I feel like there's a big difference in the practitioner's that do it the the way they go about doing it and how they place the loops and stuff. So I, I have definitely noticed the difference in that. Um, because you know, you can't, you, you can do things with that particular machine to, you can't do anything harmful. Like, you know, I mean, I guess you could, but, um, but I definitely, it's interesting when people understand acupressure points, when they do that over certain areas, the difference of the releases the horses get. So that's kind of a cool thing. So interesting. Um, it would be fun to have a chat say. with somebody who understands the science and relationship of that type of treatment, because all I know about it is I see it everywhere. And there mm-hmm. are lots of people who say it's amazing, which is probably why I see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't understand any of the science, but I would love to. And what really kind of prompted this question is the, the farm where I board my horses None of the horses are high-level competitors. A lot of them are retired higher-level competitors. Many of them mm-hmm. are tried-and-true trail horses. Now, they're hard-working because they'll go out for four or five hours at a time several days a week in the, in the winter. They're hard-working horses, but they're not competitive. And I'm surprised how many of the horses at the barn get regular MagnaWave treatments, regular chiropractic treatments, mm. regular... Um, acupuncture treatments. I'm amazed at how those modalities have permeated because it used to be that that kind of thing was reserved for the high competitive horse. You're just a trail horse or, Mm -hmm. oh, you're semi-retired. You don't need those things. It's just everywhere now. And I really kind of credit these horses that that are often on their second and third careers or horses that are much older and are still performing at a pretty athletic level in in no small part because of these treatments that are available to every horse person, at least here in Ocala, we're very lucky again, might not be in, in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, but having this available from <laughs> professionals who are trained, know how it works and know how to apply it properly is pretty darn cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I Another remember thing that- 30 years ago, even 25 years ago, Trying to find an acupuncturist or mm-hmm. chiropractor that wasn't a human chiropractor, mm-hmm. and some of the vets were like, "No, you don't want to do that." And mm-hmm. I mean, it was there a wild, was a wild west, wasn't it? Big pushback yeah. on. Well, don't you remember, Tigger? They would use mallets. They would do. They would do the. They would use mallets on the horn, like these rubber mallets, oh, yeah. and all that. It was Awful. like, God, yeah. And some of the acupuncturists were, um, 
you know, they miss a spot. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> Less than um, well-trained? <laughs> but, yeah. But, you know, I, I, it's been so great to see how accepted it now is. And I give a lot of credit to the Chi Institute because in training vets, even if they don't become, even if they don't use acupuncture, uh, they became acquainted with Eastern medicine, and that yeah. was hugely helpful. Yeah, I agree. Pretty cool. We're now at our roundtable portion of Healthy Critters, and our topic today is dealing with anhydrosis in horses. And this topic is very topical because it's freaking hot out there <laughs> in most of the country. And I'm Don't getting calls and emails daily from horses that are not sweating well or have just stopped. So I thought this would be a good uh, topic of discussion. Um, I've had an anhydrosis horse before. Patty, have you ever had one? Jen, have you had one? Yeah. Pat, Patty, you go first. Not myself, but yeah, I, yeah, I've had, um, actually just currently, um, a horse that came down to, um, Florida, um, started here in Texas in the winter was having some breathing issues and he is a, uh, grade three plus roar but wow. not a candidate for certain long story as to why, but, um, um, but before he got on the, the, uh, the boat to come down here, he had been put on steroids, anything, one thing led to another and he ended up having breathing problems, completely stopped sweating in Florida. And it really wasn't that hot in March. So he's one that we've been dealing with. Um, and again, he's, um, they've done, we've done acu, acu, uh, not acupressure, acupuncture. Um, obviously we, uh, dealt with our vet and they got with like a pulmonologist and whatever, and, um, had to put him on, uh, Ventipulmin and whatever. And so he's now finally, um, believe it or not, and it's exceedingly, it's extremely, um, hot here in Texas. He is now sweating because of the protocol that we've done. So that's good. Um, but, um, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it is. It's really scary. Jennifer, have you dealt with anhydrosis? I have. I'm just near and dear to my heart. My horse, Nigel, there's a name for it. I don't know. Is it idiopathic? Partial. I'm going to use the word partial because I know that that describes what he has. Partial anhydrosis in that he still sweated a little bit, but not at levels that would be considered normal. Mm -hmm. And he... Hi, puppies! Um, he was immediately put onto. 1AC, which is a very common product yep. that horses are given. And we chose 1AC just because that's the that's where the research was. The other products right. are uh, either copying the research they did or are using, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So-and-so said this would work, so I'm going to try it too. So that's why we went with that one. And he's been on it both the first summer and this summer that he had the anhydrosis and I got him acupuncture straight away, which did help a little bit. Initially yeah. it increased his sweating a little bit. So he went from 
pretty darn dry to a little bit less dry. Uh, so he basically got the summer off, boo hiss. And then again this year, uh, a little bit less sweat. Because from what I've heard from people who have horses who have had this for a long period of time, it's typical that if they continue to live in a warm climate like Florida, each summer the, they will tend to sweat a little bit less, mm-hmm. which is kind of terrifying. Now, I will say, knock on wood, and on lots of bits of wood, he is sweating when he's not in work, just hanging out. Hello, it's Florida. It's July. Horses who are standing in the sunshine eating grass sweat a lot. They will be covered with sweat just standing around if they're in the sun. And he had sweat on the front third of his body the other day. Just standing around in the sunshine like he normally would. Not as much as he did before this whole thing started, but he had a lot of sweat. So right now he seems to be getting better, which is pretty exciting because statistically, once they develop it, yeah, it's not too often that they get better, but right now he seems to be so, but it's, it's a terrifying thing yeah, for I've me because well they can, they literally cook from the inside out if you're not really yeah. careful, you know? Yeah. So talk a little bit, Tigger, about what the dangers are of having an anhydrotic horse medically. Obviously a horse that's anhydrotic can't go and work in hot weather. But what is actually happening when the, happening when they can't sweat? Well, they have no cooling mechanism. And when you can't cool, that means everything goes on fire inside. <laughs> it's I mean, you're you're exactly right that that the organs and everything cook. It's the it's it's the same as near as I can tell, it's the same as if they had a fever but without the disease aspect. Everything is overheated because having the body temperature too high, it's not designed to function at that temperature, things aren't going to function properly. Correct. Yeah. I, one of the interesting things that has come from the fact that more horses are getting it is this relationship to metabolic disease. Mm-hmm. I will. So, yeah. So a lower functioning mitochondria, the cellular level, which can affect ligaments, connective tissue, also affects metabolism. So, and I actually had the experience with a horse that Patty knew that I had named Pi. He um, he turned into a non-sweater and we treated him with 1AC and he got better. And then the next year, put him on 1AC and it didn't work at all. And I I tried, I don't know, one or two other things. And then I put him on the equal winner patch and that, that did it. Well, I sold him and a couple of years after I sold him, the new owner contacted me and said, he's tested positive for Cushing's. And I went, oh, that's really interesting. There's the metabolic connection. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, yeah. I don't remember. There was a veterinarian we had on one of the shows. Don't think it was this one. Talked about 
and hydrosis and metabolic disease. And his experience indicated that there was a relationship between the two in that they could have a horse that was testing negative. The blood test said they did not have any metabolic disease or they were borderline almost. And -hmm. they would put the horse on treatment for such, even if they didn't test, they would put them on the low level of treatment and the horses would start to sweat again. Uh Interesting. Uh Yeah, that is interesting. Interesting stuff. Wow. Yeah, because it's such a, it's such a newly, it's it's something that hasn't been around very long. There hasn't been much research on it. Um, the the little bit of research I have read that the University of Florida, I believe, did was very good and research. And have they done some in Texas too? Yes. Yeah. Um, they did it on colostrum. Interesting. And, yes. You know, about I don't know, maybe it was ten years ago that Texas had a big heat wave. And they had all these horses that stopped sweating and they went to the University of Texas or Texas Tech. I'm not sure which one. And the, the, there, the veterinarians started giving them bovine colostrum and 50% of them started sweating. So um, my kind of plan of action, if somebody is needs some help with uh, a horse with anhydrosis, start with Guinness. If you notice your horse isn't sweating yeah. enough, that's where you start. If that doesn't kick the sweating back into gear, go to 1AC. If that's not enough, try colostrum. If that's not enough, go to the Equiwinter patch. And if that isn't enough, go to a nebulizer. You know, nebulizers are getting used a lot, not just for anhydrosis, but um, uh, a very good trainer friend of mine who has just got back from Europe said that at the, all the big European shows, the jumpers especially are using nebulizers before the horses go to the ring. Hmm. Wow. There you hmm. go. The, ne- the next big thing. <coughs> That's it. That's it. And if, and if the yeah. nebulizer doesn't work, uh, go to Michigan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so definitely the, deal the with, one, you know, start feeding your horses if it, if it's metabolic. As soon as you get anhydrosis symptoms, yeah. that's where I would absolutely begin. Yeah. Yeah. Change in diet. One other yeah. thing that I, the one other thing that I wanted to mention was I had a horse that um, came actually from Germany, had to go through Holland, then went to Wellington, and then I purchased it for one of my clients. And she was a profuse sweater. And I was in Houston at the time. And I kept, you know, and it was, uh, I think it was June, July. And, you know, of course, it's super hot there. And, I mean, I would say for the first three weeks she was there, I mean, she just sweat profusely. And we had fans in the um, in the arena, and I would stand in front of the fans and make sure that they're always cool. I didn't. I didn't put anything on their legs to make sure their tendons wouldn't heat up. Like I would do everything I possibly could to keep it, you know, easier for them to work. And I was, and she literally the next day just stopped sweating. Like, and so that is apparently another indicator. If you have one that is a profuse sweater, really be careful um, about that because. Yeah. Yeah. And so now that horse ended up in Virginia and is fine now. Hmm. And I mean, when I said, I mean, not a drop to sweat, like one of those scary ones. Oh, and, but that's she, so scary. Um, 
Yep, but now she sweats. So that was, I thought that's interesting. Interesting, cool stuff. Well, that was a fun little chat. And speaking of fun little chats, it is now time to call the world's only podcasting Pomeranian. That's right. It's time to chat yep. with Hedwig. Hedwig is a Pomeranian dog, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And each show, we give her a call, and we ask her some really obnoxious questions. Yes, we do, and we usually get an obnoxious answer. And we get an obnoxious answer. So here we go. Hello. Hetty. Hello, everyone. I'm wilting, wilting in the heat, wilting. (laughs) Dying. <laughs> My beautiful fur is so wilty. Oh, I don't know that I can go on. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Uh, humidity is killing me. Oh, Hattie, are you in front of a fan? No, she doesn't give me any nice things. Oh, gosh. Not even ice cubes or... No. Okay. She's made some decisions that I have to say are not admirable. Uh, because for me, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Hedwig, we feel we feel what? we feel bad that that your knife is is crapola right now. It, it makes us wonder. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier in the show about alternative theories, things things like massage and acupuncture. And magnetic therapy and those therapy. kinds of things. Ice all the cream all ice cream therapy. Yes. How do you feel mm-hmm. about those sorts of things personally for yourself, and how do you feel about them for dogs in general? I'm I'm such a proponent of anything that can help a small dog, you know, cope with everything. So, as you know, I'm experienced in homeopathy, and I'm a strong believer in herbal medicine. I'm also which has centuries of research behind it. So when people say that it's not real, they just don't know. And then to add another piece of information, I love a massage. Beautiful, so relaxing, and also helpful for muscles and joints. Acupuncture has helped both me and my sisters and my brother with his weird neck thing, which might be partly goblin issue, but whatever, it has helped him. So what matters, I think, is that we just do our very best for for dogs of all sizes. Yes, not just small dogs. Even big dogs can benefit. Oh, that's so kind of you. Well, I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying these things are helpful for everyone. Yes. Yes, we agree. And, you know, people are very dismissive sometimes of something massage therapy or whatever, acupuncture, centuries of thought go into these, quote, alternative therapies. These are not alternatives. They just represent different thought traditions that are not Western pharmaceutical-based medicine people. That does not make them not real. There we go. Well, thank you very Bravo. much, Hedwig. This Eddie, was, thanks, Hedy. Yeah, this was uncharacteristically magnanimous of you, and we appreciate it. We sure do. Stay cool. You too. Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that poor dog. That poor little thing. <laughs> so 
know, we are at the critter corner or critter, critter starting of, uh, my love for chickens. Um, <laughs> I recently we're taking a break. Oh, you know when when I read it, I, I thought that was a cow. I'm sorry. Look at this. I did I'm going to be surprised. Oh, I, did, I did too. It is. It is a chicken, and I'm going to tell you why. Several things that you need to know. They're known as the king of poultry because of their size. But I have chosen to do this because it's one of the ones that I have in my now five week old chickens. And, um, I, I had picked to do this because I have one that sort of stands out being the most friendly and you can't really tell at this age, which one too. <laughs> um, so I keep going, are you Myrtle? Are you, you know, are you Josephine? So like it goes and some of them you can't tell, but this, but I couldn't really tell. So anyway, it made sense when I did some reading about them because they're, they're known for their docile nature and their aptitude, aptitude to be, um, to, to be trained and wait, stop right there. It, uh, it, what kind is it? Cause I think I was talking over kind? you when you said what kind it is. Oh, it's a dark Brahma. There we go. Now. So the Brahma, the Brahma the is known the King of poultry cause they're very, they're quite large, which I didn't know when I got her. There are, there are a bunch of different colors. There's the dark, the light and a buff. I happen to have a buff as well, but this dark one is the one that literally when I open their, um, little cage up, she flies up and likes to try to roost on my, on my hand. And she likes, she likes it when I pet her. <laughs> um, at least I think she does. <laughs> I'm sure other chicken people are out there like, yeah, whatever. But anyway, they, but they're known for being really docile. Um, and, um, like I said, they come in a bunch of different colors and they're really, they're right now. They're not, they're, they look like a teenager. They look like my son when he was 10, he was tall and skinny and I couldn't tell what he was going to look like. It turned out. Okay. That's a little where they are right now, but they eventually have, um, a nice big, big uh, like big, beautiful plumes and they have a thick, uh, um, beautiful down all over their bodies. Um, but one of the other qualities they're known for is they stand out because they're very peaceful and they make really good first time chicken owners happy, which would be me. Um, they were originally bred in the U S as a meat bird, but then as it turns out, they're also great, great layers. So, um, dark Brahmas or Brahmas in general, but I'm just going to keep saying being dark, um, are, uh, very large. They can actually, um, they can get up to 30 inches. Now that's pretty extreme. Um, they, the, on the heavier end of the scale, they have been clocked in uh, for roosters at 17 pounds and some of the hens at 14, but typically they're between uh, 10 and 12 pounds. Um, they, um, when, if you decide, and I thought this is kind of interesting, if you decide to let um, the Brahma have chicks, um, the, the hen hat chicks, you have to be careful because they're so big. <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. They can often switch their young because they can't see them. And I was like, oh, that's just horrible. So I am not going to be doing that. But if anybody decides that that's something I want to do, you need to, you need to keep your eye open for that. Um, so many advantages to them um, is they can um, lay up to 300 eggs annually, which is good. They are also a meat bird, but mine are never going to be meat birds. So we're not ever going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> ever, <laughs> um, they, but the cool thing is they're known for laying in the winter. And I guess typically Tigger, you would know this better than me. They probably, most chickens probably hens start to slow down in the winter. I would assume. Yes. Yes. Um, 
they are, they communicate gently with people and are really great with other flock members. Um, they flourish in, con- in confinement or in free range. They're very versatile in many different environments and actually do quite well in extreme cold. Um, their life expect- expectancy is anywhere from five to eight years. Um, because of their size, they are apparently very slow matures and a little late in the laying game. So they, um, they're not going to, they, they can potentially lay, lay, start laying eggs later, um, than the other ones that are going to grow a little bit more rapidly. So you have to have patience with that. And this is my favorite part is, you know, roosters. I, I personally got a rooster. I got a blue coaching rooster. Um, but roosters can help, you know, protect their little flock. And they say dark Brahma roosters, are not your go-to for flock protection. They are lovers. They're not haters. So if you decide to have a dark Brahma rooster as kind of your um, guard rooster, not your bird. (laughs) You need to look for something else. But overall, I have just been having fun um, with this one particular chicken because she just stands out and she's actually more like a pet. So, um, I this I would strongly suggest if anybody's looking for a first time backyard bird to go to the dark brahma. And now we're at Critter Nutrition and the topic today is behind the scenes at Biostar. From Biostar's humble beginnings to the present. We have always made our own products. There aren't many companies left in the supplement industry that still make their own products in-house. Naturally, there are some very good and valid reasons companies choose to have their products made by a third party or a private label company. These reasons include convenience, cost, and scale. I'm just too much of a control freak to let any other company or entity procure our ingredients or make our products. Developing a new product starts with the concept. One of the advantages of having an in-house production facility is that I get to play with our plant and food ingredients. Mind you, the production team keeps a close eye on me as I'm kind of a kooky mad scientist in their midst. It all begins with a concept, a problem to be solved. Many of our products originated from customers who came to us and said, I have a horse with an issue or I have a dog struggling from... Some products began with my own horse's issues and health concerns with my various dogs or friends' horses and dogs. Our Biostar pastes, for example, came about after a persistent equine body worker nagged me for months for paste formulas. This was a whole new arena for Biostar, and we had to figure out how to make paste syringes in-house. First, we had to find the right filling machine, which sounds simple, but trust me, it wasn't. Did you know you can fire a syringe across the room if you don't have the filling machine pressure adjusted just right? The next is sitting with the new concept. I rely heavily on my intuition and my knowledge of Ayurveda. I may jot down a few ideas in my formulator's book, always with the whole horse or whole dog in mind. Then I go outside. I like to sit under one of my favorite trees or sit outside at night, watch the fireflies, be still, and listen. It is in the stillness that the answers come, the knowingness comes. Yes, this is the right path. No, this is not the path. Some ideas end up discarded. Others wait for another time. 
Only a few make it to the next phase. The beginnings of the formula is what I call the spirit. I think about the plants and foods which would assist the body. I consider the energetics of each plant and the warming, cooling, neutral aspects, as well as the life force known as prana and Ayurveda and chi in traditional Chinese medicine. The focus must be on the body system balance and restoration of that balance and always a focus on the gut. I write down my ideas for ingredients and whatever comes to me via my intuition. I picture the horses or dogs with the imbalance I'm working to correct. I spend a lot of time looking at the ingredients I've jotted down and feeling how they work together or if they're redundant or if they may tip the GI tract too much in one direction, too hot, too cold. This process helps me whittle down the list of possible ingredients. Next step is the science and research. Once I have the foundation for the formula, I head down various rabbit holes. Scientific confirmation is a critical component for every ingredient in a formula. While Eastern medicine provides the spiritual whole body components, Western medicine provides the research data. Both are important. I spend a lot of time down these rabbit holes. One rabbit hole may lead me in a totally different direction, but I just sort of follow the flow, even if I get off my initial track. I am learning something new and that's important to me as a formulator. The next step is seeking the raw materials. Sourcing raw materials is daunting, but also fun. It's not uncommon for Biostar to order from five or more different sources of one ingredient, just so we can test them out and get a feel for them. We call it plain, but it is very serious, I assure you. I want the best ingredients, not the mediocre and not based on what's the cheapest. Efficacy and performance depend on ingredients of demonstrable and measurable quality working together in synergy. Otherwise, the formula won't work well and the horses and dogs won't benefit. Before we purchase a new Ayurvedic ingredient or a patented extract from a company, I talk to the company's scientists and experts. I want to know the medicinal properties better, confirm successful use for horses and dogs, and I also want to understand that company's process, the growing, drying, extraction, and how that process improves bioavailability. From all my years on the human side of nutrition, I don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call one or two of my many contacts and ask, what do you think of this extract? What do you think of this raw material? Or, I see you use this in one of your product. What's the feedback? I also have friends in the human supplement industry who are formulators, whom I bounce the concept off of and ask about the direction which I'm headed. Or I can ask about any new raw materials they may have come across that I haven't thought of, but might be interesting. Sometimes there's a potential ingredient that doesn't fit what I'm working on, but I jot it down so I might want to revisit it in the future. I bounce new product concepts around with trusted trainers, riders, body workers, and vets. I like to hear what they have to say more than what I have to say. With dog products, my go-to is Lizzie Meyer, who is well-connected in holistic animal circles herself. I bounce the concept and ingredients around her. Lizzie always asks good questions and tells me what comes up for her, both intuitively and from Eastern medicine. She will give a resounding yes if a formula resonates with her. New products go through various versions before they are ready for beta testing. 
Sometimes it's just one revision. Sometimes it's multiple tweaks to a formula, less of this, more of that. The texture isn't right or the energetics aren't quite right. Jamie, our production manager, is my right-hand woman in product development because she see things, sees things I don't see as I see things she doesn't see. It's a perfect balance. And when we both agree on how the formula feels, tastes, looks, then it's time to beta test. The initial beta tests are small samples to test for palatability. If a horse or a dog won't eat it, then it's time to go back and tweak the formula, period. If the first beta test passes, then we move on to the second beta test, efficacy and performance. The efficacy beta test can take months as we seek out horses or dogs who would benefit from the formula. The annual Winter Equestrian Festival in Wellington is my ideal testing ground. So many horses and so many choices. WEF, with its high level of show stress in horses and humans, really puts a product to the test. It also provides me with a ton of feedback from the riders, trainers, and grooms. Some products in development don't make it through the beta tests. They might not work well enough or don't provide clear efficacy. We will not bring those products out of the market. Getting a product ready for market. While Jamie in production works on packaging, Leslie, our designer, works on labels and brochure layouts and designs. It's a team effort and includes Lynn, who manages customer service, sharing her perspective vis-a-vis -vis the customer, and Rick, the general manager who oversees the entire process and makes sure all the ingredients for the new product have been ordered, received, and inventoried. Then there's Pat, who manages the accounting side of Biostar and who no longer has heart palpitation when Rick hands him a purchase order for a new ingredient that costs a great deal. He's gotten used to it by now. Pricing is the last step because I don't want raw material costs to influence efficacy. In other words, I don't let the cost of a superior ingredient deter us from using it. Of course, we could use a cheaper alternative and it would look the same on the label, but it wouldn't provide the benefits or provide a superior source. For example, aloe vera. We could buy bulk aloe vera power for as low as $20 a kilo. However, the aloe we prefer to use is microcrystallized, medical-grade aloe, which costs $250 a kilo and is much more effective. There is a big difference in efficacy between aloe vera powder and medical-grade aloe. Biostar is willing to make a lower profit in order to use the finest and most advanced in ingredients we can find that provide the best results for horses and dogs. Formulating a Biostar product is not a straight line. It, it's more of an adventure with lots of challenges, ahas, roadblocks, detours, sometimes a dead end, and sometimes a From farm to feed bucket, it really does take a village and one that I'm honored to be a part of. <laughs> real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real food ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. 
Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. coffee clatch and i thought it would be fun to match some international riders to a dog breed that best fits them and the the international riders i've chosen are stefan peters adrian lyle mclean ward and buck davidson dressage show jumping and eventing um i suppose you guys will want me to go first (laughs) yeah you know so i know I know Stefan's dog that he currently has, um, which is a a doodle. Um, But my pick for him uh, when it comes time for him to add another dog um, is a Bernese mountain dog. Um, (laughs) We all know that Stefan um, has been quite open and honest about his um, challenges with depression and, you know, competition stress. And I think a good old Bernie's mountain dog that's just a big muff that's comforting and laid back would would be the perfect dog. Patty? Oh, that's so funny because um, I had him down for a golden retriever for the exact same reason. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's just funny. Just because he's, you know, and he's... And He's a, I mean, he's a, he's a strong guy. He's very athletic, but he's just, like you said, very open. Um, yeah, I think that's funny. Isn't that interesting? Golden Retriever. Isn't that interesting? Jen, who did you have picked for Stefan? Stefan Peters, dressage rider. Now, what I did, I don't, I don't know Stefan. I don't think I've ever even met Stefan, but I hear you guys talk about him all the time, and you know him well, so I got little bits and pieces. So to do this whole exercise, I just went to the AKC and used the personality descriptions of the different ah. breeds. This is the person. I'll tell you the breed second. This is the description of the breed's personality. Thrives on thorough exercise, but has a sensitive and affectionate nature. Is a Visla. That's why I picked him. Ah. Visla. Oh, that's. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Interesting. But That's my first my, my first That's pick mic- for him before I before I went down the AKC rabbit hole was a poodle. <laughs> well, and he's got a doodle. He's got a doodle. So, which is a okay. retriever and a poodle. There you go. How fun. Yeah. Um Adrian Lyle, I went two different ways. Now tell us who Adrian Lyle is. Uh she's uh, a member of the United States dressage team. For the world championships this year, she won the team silver. Was it last year? Was Tokyo losing? Won the U.S. team two years ago. Won the silver in Tokyo. So she's done some stuff. Yeah, she's done (laughs) some stuff. Um, So I, I picked two breeds. I picked a Rottweiler because. Adrian is very focused and very determined 
and really gets the job done in the ring. And I, I sort of think of that with a Rottweiler. Interesting. Very but, workmanlike. But, yeah. Yes. Very work. Job oriented. Yeah. But I also could see her with a really bossy Corgi. <laughs> oh, that's so Running around at her heels, you know, trying to hurt her. Oh, my goodness. Um, mm -hmm. What did you have, Patty? Well, I kind of went a different route because I think about Because Adrian is very tall. She makes me look short, which is saying something. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I was thinking, and I think that and she's just athletic and impressive. Yeah. So I was thinking of, you know, a large greyhound, like just impressive and elegant. And then I had another one. And I think, again, because I, these are quite elegant as well. I just thought Afghan hounds, like she just yeah. tall and just graceful. So um, huh. I was going more with the physical attributes of her, of the, those dogs' abilities to run. John? Interesting. I have never met Adrian. I don't know anybody who, who, so I don't know anything about Adrian. So I went online and typed in Adrian Lyle images. So the only thing I know about Adrian is her resume and the pictures I saw online. And this is what I came up with. She operates under the assumption that there are no strangers, just friends she has not yet met. And that's the Bichon Frise. Oh, I uh -oh. could see her with the Bichon. Oh, that's cool. I like that. I like that. She's, Jen, you're, you're killing it. Yeah, her, 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 the pictures I saw, she, her smile was so genuine. Just the joy inside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've only welcome. ever heard wonderful things about her as a person. So cool. I'm going to say you're probably accurate. Cool. This is fun. Uh, our next writer is McLean Ward, who um, probably doesn't need any introduction. He's one, he's one of the most successful jumper riders in the world. Um, and um, I see McLean with a group of Jack Russell Terriers. <laughs> Not just a dog. <laughs> no, I see him with like a little team of Jack Russells running around. Um, you know, McLean is scrappy as a rider. I, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way. His ability to get a horse around big courses and win and take risks and chances just reminds me of a terrier personality. Interesting. So funny. Yeah. What did you have, Patty? Mine's awesome. Excuse I'm me? I'm going to tell you it's awesome. Mine's awesome. I'm just going to tell you. Ah. Um, Australian Kelpie. Ooh. They are a, they are a, a little box of a dog. They're athletic, they're active, and they're, they're just, they just don't they're tire. Tough. Yeah, they're tough. And they're bad ass dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Jen? Yeah. I came at this is so fun because we each come at it from a slightly different direction uh -huh. and yet they're all they all match. I came at it from a slightly different direction because a lot of the quotes I've read of late from McLean speak to his commitment to his sport and his commitment to his horses. So Loyalty, intelligent, and sterling a character are the stuff of legend. Mm -hmm. 
I picked a collie. Oh, wow. Oh. There you go. Yeah. Oh, that's really yeah, that's interesting. Good. Well, she obviously like red stuff. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't like know. I didn't know any of those three people. So I had to, you know, I had to come up. Oh, well, how, what you, direction you, can you I come from here? Right. The assignment. Yeah. You looked yeah. into the assignment. Is what I'm yes. saying. So <laughs> I leaned into star it. Gen. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So last but not least, Buck Davidson, um, well-known yep. international eventer. He's won a lot. He's uh, the son of one of the great, three-day event riders bruce davidson and mm -hmm. buck has made a career on his own a very successful career um <laughs> i picked two dogs for him the dog that would you know be around um the home farm and the dog that would go with him to shows well, that's good for Buck. That's perfect for Buck. <laughs> would have so to have around the farm was a Great Dane. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, almost the size of a horse, but not quite. And the, the go-with dog, Australian Shepherd. Oh, my gosh. Yes, ah. I can so see that. can so see that. That's funny. Hmm. Patty? I, this was very simple for me, um, Australian cattle dog. We were again, on the same page. The Absolutely. Um, just be, again, you know, like a Kelpie, but Kelpies are a little bit, um, they're, they're just a little bit different than a cattle dog. Cause I can see Buck kind of like, you know, cause a cattle dog will, you know, can totally sit at your feet and hang out, but again, you know, can, um, uh, you know, just, just get everything organized and together and, and then, you know, chill. So he could be the, on the farm dog and the show dog. So he could be both. There we go. How about you, Jen? Jen? This is the only one that I did not go to the AKC for because I know Buck a little bit. And this is going to be a repeat of a breed that you chose for somebody else. But I, I chose the compact yet tenacious and adorable Corgi. <laughs> I was going to say Corgi. As soon as you said, I can see Corgi too. That's okay. I can see that Corgi too. Awesome. Small, compact. Yep, you yep. look at that dog and you say, he's just a lap dog. No, you underestimate that lap dog. Yeah. That is yeah. a tenacious little athlete yeah. right there. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's good. That's, that's so good fun. <laughs> I have a theory. It, it's totally crazy. Makes it, it, so forgive me. But I have this theory that. People who are short go for bigger dogs, and people who are tall go for smaller dogs. Hmm. Uh, you notice that none of us picked Pomeranian. Well, that's because we know Hedwig. <laughs> we wouldn't do that to somebody we liked. Yeah. Well, it would be trouble. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, but also Pomeranians, you know, even though they can be, um, you know, badass little dogs, they also... Um, they they can be kicked and fly through the air easily because they're like, <laughs> like, like a Buck Davidson or McLean Ward. I mean, you ki you kick one of them and your leg's not going to move. It's going to be a thud. I just thought the Pomeranian <laughs> is the wiffle ball of the dog world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that that's funny. <laughs> Apologies oh, to all Pomeranian a, owners out there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was good. Yeah. 
No, I love me a palm. I'll tell you, I, they're hey, adorable. They, they're, they're adorable. They yeah. the pomeranian is the king of his own universe, right there. Yeah, they all are. Yeah, and you gotta yeah. love him for it. Yeah, absolutely. Gotta love him for it. There we go. Well, this has been a lot of fun, ladies. We're gonna it wrap has. this up now. Okie doke. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Thank you.